0: Sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: On Sunday, French President Emmanuel Macron was booed as he toured the damage. He has vowed he won't back down on the fuel taxes aimed at cutting carbon emissions. Protesters who have no formal leadership also say they won't stop until they get what they want.
2: There's a massive bureaucracy dedicated to cultivating in students this delusional sense of their own oppression. And they carry this chip, this delusional victimology into the world at large. And they are going around blaming American institutions of endemic racism and sexism when that no longer is true.
3: President George Herbert Walker Bush loved his family and he served his country. His example will always inspire. And his lifetime of service will be enshrined in the hearts of the American people forever.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Welcome to the program. It is exciting to be with you. It's, the, the week is moving so quickly. Um, but then again, how can it not? We have so much going on right now. So much uh, that we get to celebrate, specifically it's still a new headband every day to celebrate Christmas and the reason for the season. So I'm so excited about that. And today on the program, we're going to be speaking with Denise McAllister. She's a senior contributor to The Federalist, author, and political commentator. We are also going to be delving into um, the life of, of a great individual, a president, a former vice president, a former ambassador, and a a military veteran. He was a pilot and really an accomplished person. And this is something that we should be able to do regardless of political affiliation and disagreements. And so we'll be talking about the life of former President George H.W. Bush. And not we're, we're not going to spend a ton of time there, but we do need to just pause and take a moment to reflect on his legacy and what he was able to do for this country. And it's interesting to see the reaction online. Every, obviously, we can't go by what the trolls say. Um, Twitter's not a great place to judge reactions on the whole. It's not really representative of the entire country. But there have been some notable differences in the treatment of uh, this pre- this former president and some other people who've, who've passed away. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, right now, I want to get into... Our daily confession for today, it's Romans 4, 13 through 22. And this is something huge for us to acknowledge and to get our heads wrapped around. And that is that we are all heirs to the promise now through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And at no point in our history has it been more important for Christians to really fully grasp that, that God has already done the work, that Jesus Christ is God, that he did the work on the cross and enables us to walk in freedom and liberty knowing that we can have our sins forgiven, that is the reality. So that's regardless of our feelings. That's regardless of whether or not we're living in condemnation or regret, which we should not be doing. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and regret is not something that God wants us to engage in. We are to ask for forgiveness and to move forward, eyes on the prize, ever moving towards the mark. So Romans four thirteen through 22 says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, in many places in the Bible, when God is speaking to his people, or in particular, I'm, I'm, I always think of when I think of extraordinary acts of faith and people who really walked with the Lord with, with no doubt, I think of Joshua and how many times the Lord said to him directly, I have the battle is already yours. You've already won. You just need to go out with the armies of Israel and take this land, take this city, et cetera, et cetera. And he would. He may have had doubt, but he didn't allow that to stop him from being obedient to what God told him to do. Specifically, I'm thinking of that moment when Joshua was speaking with God and God said, I've already given them into your hand. So God tells him before they've even launched their first spear, shot their first arrow, clashed their first sword that you've already won this battle. So in real time, God tells him go out and take this army and destroy them, utterly destroy them, burn the cities to the ground, kill everything alive within, burn everything that is known, anything you can see with your eyes, burn it to the ground. This is already yours. Now that's, what, the night before? He has to get up the next day with the armies of, of the Lord and go out there and make this happen. Halfway through the day, he's they're fighting, and the fighting is going well, but there are still so many more that have to be vanquished. So he says to the sun, stop. He says to the moon, don't move, so that we can finish what God has given us to do this day. That's extraordinary faith. No, God is asking for no less from all of us when he tells us in the, in Romans 4 as it is written I have made you the father of many nations and he's talking to Abraham and Abraham looks at his body he's old and shriveled up his wife is old and shriveled up there's no way in the natural they're having any more children but God said they would have more children and so or they, that they would have children and so they did and this is the covenant that God has with us that righteousness comes by faith. It can't come through the law because God has banished all of that with the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, and the work on the cross. So if we have anything to be encouraged about today is that it is already finished. If you need encouragement about that, go to Revelation and read Revelation from beginning to end. The Bible says there's a special blessing on people who read and share Revelation with others. And there's a fantastic CD where you can get it and you can pop it into your CD player in your car and you can listen to Revelation on your way here and there. It's, it's not scary. It's actually very encouraging. But I encourage you to hold on to what God has for us and to know that it is, it is simply by faith that we believe and receive the promise that God has already completed it. The work is already done. We just have to walk it out. All right. Right now, I want to turn to this fantastic bit of audio. So Pastor John MacArthur, a rock in the world of Christendom for his preaching and teaching and leadership, he did an interview with Ben Shapiro. And obviously, Ben Shapiro is Jewish. He's a practicing Jew. He's, he's uh, really, he has a strong faith walk. And he has this interview with Pastor John MacArthur. And it's a really interesting interview. Um, I would encourage you to take a look at it, you know, watch it. I think it's 45 minutes long. But this little bit here, I thought was encouraging and instructive. He's talking about Christianity. It's Pastor John MacArthur, number two.
3: Well, first of all, I don't like to talk about it as a philosophy. Um, I'd rather talk about it as a revelation uh, because it's divine. Um, So... The same God who wrote the Old Testament wrote the New Testament. That's my conviction. The the Scripture has one author, uh, and I need to say this. I am a Christian because of the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament, I, I don't know whether I could believe the New Testament. And that may sound strange to you, but how do I know that Jesus is the Messiah if I don't have all the predictions of the Old Testament defining him when he shows up.
4: So the Old Testament is just as important as the New. We can get so much encouragement from it. And I think that was also an overture on his part to Ben Shapiro, who as a Jewish person doesn't read the New Testament but only reads the Old Testament because they do not believe that the Messiah has come. And my prayer is that Ben Shapiro would come to know Jesus Christ, obviously, but that more people would engage in the kind of thoughtful dialogue that Ben Shapiro and, uh, John MacArthur, pastor MacArthur were engaging in just there because there's so much for us to learn from not just the word, but from, from talking about it in the highways and the byways and spending time, uh, in, in that word so that we can be fully equipped. And, um, so that's fantastic. Um that was that was a really good interview and I hope that they'll con- I hope that Bench Pair will continue to have people on to discuss um all of the things that are going on. So additionally on the show today we are going to be talking about um this this US colleges breeding hate. UC Berkeley actually ag- agreed to pay $70,000 to Young American Foundations. We'll be talking about that. And then Paris is burning, and you heard in the the news bit from onenewsnow.com that the president of France has decided to postpone, not eliminate, but postpone the increase in gas tax. Now, I personally am aware of how much Europeans pay for gas. Back when I was a kid, gas was between six and eight dollars, or six and eight, sorry, Deutschmarks per, per gallon. This is before the euro. And I remember thinking to myself, they're paying so much for it, even if you translated that amount into dollars when the dollar was 189 or $2 uh, for every Deutschmark, it was still an astronomical amount for them to be paying because in the United States, people were paying, you know, a dollar a gallon for gas. And also, you know, here in the U.S., diesel prices are usually a little bit cheaper because we don't use very much diesel. But overseas, they use a ton of diesel and it doesn't burn as clean, but it's cheaper. And it has to be cheaper because they've allowed climate activists to jack up the price of their fuel in the interest of forcing people to use public transportation. And they do have a lot of public transportation over in Europe that they use. They're, they use it much more than we do. Obviously, less land mass, higher per capita population, so higher population per square mile. Um, their population density is just, it's it's like all of our major cities, but it's pretty much the whole thing, like the, the whole country, because they have so many people and so little land to spread the people out on. So they have a lot of public transportation and it's really great. But in order to force more people to use public transportation, they keep their gas prices high through taxation and people there are having trouble making a living. People there are literally trying to decide between eating and spending um, you know, spending money on necessities like gasoline fueling up their vehicles. So it is I hate to see the the death and the carnage and the burning of cars, but these people are raging mad. What I've noticed is that the news is not connecting this to the climate agenda. Macron has this obsession with saving the earth through tiny industrialized nations, cutting themselves back to the bone and basically destroying themselves through income redistribution so that they can be a part of the movement to save the planet. Meanwhile, planets with enormous population like Pakistan and China, they're they're certainly making moves on cleaning up their emissions, but they're not doing anything close to what developed nations are doing and the leader of the pack is as always the United States. So instead of breaking his countrymen's backs under this climate agenda, he should say, you know, obviously, this is more like a religion than science. It's believe what we believe or you're out of the herd. No dissent is allowed. And I'm not going to destroy the people of France in order to meet this agenda. But he doesn't have to worry about it because he's rich. He has a motorcade. The people of France pay for his uh, gasoline costs and his vehicles. So he can afford to break their backs over this issue while keeping himself in the lifestyle that he has grown accustomed to because he's in power. Do you see the problem there? This is why America has a public service oriented constitution that we're getting away from. We, we already have a two-class system, the rulers and the ruled. We already have people who are above the law, the Clintons. We already have groups of individuals who feel like they need to make laws for them and then separate laws for themselves, Congress. We've got to remember our foundation so we never have to worry about someone like Macron being the leader of this country. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Denise McAllister, senior contributor to The Federalist. Stay there.
3: The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby.
4: And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever
3: this mom chose life for her baby.
0: She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful.
3: Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love
0: can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I'll never forget one winter when our children were very small and we were driving 450 miles to see my parents. On the way, we ran into a terrible blinding snowstorm. We had blizzard conditions, and the first order of business was to get off that highway and find somewhere to stay. We pulled up to a motel, and they said, uh, sorry, no room. So we went over the ramp to another motel on the other side of the highway. Same thing, no vacancy. I began to panic. We prayed, Lord, please direct us, lead us. Someone said that there was another motel at the next exit, so we crept back onto the highway and inched our way to the exit. Thank God they had a room. As Christians, we too are on a journey, but we don't follow our Savior with fear and uncertainty. Our future is certain. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14 as he's cluing in his disciples about what's going to happen after he goes back to heaven. John 14 verses 1 through 6 Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Then his response to Thomas's question, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Hold on to the assurance that we're going to a real place to be with a real person. And no matter how bad conditions get along the way, our reservation is guaranteed. Join Crawford-Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here. You know what? It's uh, Keep Christ in Christmas wristband time. You can go to afa.net to order. It is our way of standing against the politically correct forces that basically say we can celebrate the holiday, we can spend the money, but we're not going to talk about Christ or Christmas. We want to keep Christ in Christmas, which is why we want you to go to afa.net to order the wristbands and join us in wearing them and uh, spending time talking about the reason for the season. If we don't have Christ, there's no Christmas. And so these are great conversation starters. They're not confrontational. They're actually fun and cute. And the wristbands are sold in sets of 10. So if you purchase two or more sets, you receive a discount. And they're in stock waiting for your order. They ship immediately, and your order includes free shipping. The deadline to order is December 17th, and we really appreciate you partnering with us in this way. And uh, so... I'm not sure if we have our guest just yet. Um, So what we can do is we can kind of preview a little bit of what she's going to be discussing when she joins us in just a couple of minutes, Um, which is white women voting for Republicans, as is their right, as is the right of anyone to vote for anyone. Um, We're going to be discussing that with our next guest, who is Denise McAllister, senior contributor to The Federalist, author and political commentator. Denise, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
4: So it's great to talk to you, especially about this subject. I actually covered this a little bit. Um, I was a bit outraged and I covered it here on the program. And I I just want to point out that it is perfectly fine for me to comment on white women voting for Republicans, I I think, um, because... I'm, I'm not a white woman, I'm black, but I also think it's okay for me to comment this in the same way that it's okay for white people to discuss racism or issues like Planned Parenthood and the genocide in the black community. I think these are all subjects we can all discuss. And I think it's actually better when we all talk about them instead of limiting ourselves to saying, well, I can only talk about something if it uh, impacts my demographic group as if that's the only aspect of ourselves that really matters.
2: Well, I agree, because it'd be nice to be able to get past these surface distinctions between us because we have a whole lot more in common than just our skin color and a whole lot more interest. And that's one of the key issues in this situation is that we're judging people by their skin color instead of really looking about why they're voting the way they are and judging them simply because they haven't come in and and are part of a demographic. In this case, all women sticking together and supposedly having to vote the same way. And you know whether you're white or black, all women are expected to vote according to democratic ideals. And when a group of women they don't, they're wondering, you know, it must be racism. And you know, I'd like to be able to get beyond
4: that. Me too. To to be honest with you, because the the assumption here that's being ignored when we say white women or any any entire demographic group is that there's a built-in assumption that if you're not voting for Democrats. You're evil. You're wrong. You're voting against your own personal best interests, which ignores other factors that are far more important than whether or not you're a woman, namely um, the economy, national safety, um, whether or not law and order still exists in this country, the presumption of innocence. I mean, there are a lot of areas in which the Democrats have shown themselves to be completely against the American ideal. Uh, And so to say that women have to vote for the Democrats ignores those other really important issues.
2: Yeah, and it also ignores how the Democrats play to the identity politics. And, you know, when we, when people accuse these groups of white women supposedly voting because they're racist, um, they ignore the fact that uh, black women, and you know, the fight in mass, almost vote uh, Democratic. And so you have to ask, well, why is that? I mean, who, why are these groups coalescing to each other? And is it really because of race or is it because of what's being promised? And I would say that there's, you know, you have to look at the ideology and the principles behind why each group is voting the way they are and, uh, and really examine what's going on here. And it goes beyond race. It goes really through principles of what you value, liberty principles, or in some cases if you think that government should be doing more for people and be more um, intervention involved in people's lives. And just get past the, the identity, identity politics, get down to what the real issues are.
4: So let's talk about your piece over at thefederalist.com. Um, you ask a question. Well, you, you quote the writer at the Daily Beast who writes an open letter asking, Dear White Lady, what are you doing to us? And then Slate, these are both far-left organization magazines, you know, online magazines. Slate doubled down, accusing white women of self-loathing and hypocrisy, which is something that I'm familiar with because I'm often told that I hate myself because I don't Mm -hmm. join, you know, the 90-plus percent of black women who vote for the Democrats. But I really – I'm really not understanding – how they think they can go from bullying a small group of women, you know, 7% of women, in, uh, of the entire group of women in the country, 51% of the country is women, 7% of that number are black. And they've done a very effective job in bullying 90% of those women into unthinkingly voting for the Democrats exclusively. But how do they propose to get that much larger group of white women by this simple, it's very simplistic, the idea that um, you you you're wrong if you're voting for the Republicans. No no further explanation needed.
2: Well, again, because they're putting all women need to be voting and acting according to the group identity of being a woman. And that, that breaks down, obviously, into the black and white women. But there also is just where we all stick together. It has to do with this intersectional feminism where, you know, you, you're in a press class. And so, you know, you, you have um, the African-American group, and then you have, the female group, but the female group includes all races. And so according to this kind of uh, theory, you need to be, as a woman, you need to recognize that you're oppressed, that the patriarchy is oppressing you, and that you really don't have rights in this country, and so therefore you should band together with all the sisters of every color um, against the patriarchy, i.e. the Republican Party, and vote as a coalition. And when you deviate from that, you're accused of, oh, you must be a betrayal to women, to being a woman, or to your race, if that's the more specific issue. Or, you know, you you just don't really understand how you're enslaved, you know, to this misogynistic, you know, white man rulership, of the patriarchy. And so they're guilted into voting according to democratic principles or ideology. And, you know, it, it can be a big group like you said, or a small group, but the the guilt is being spread upon them saying, you need to vote a certain way, and they want to rope them in. And let's be frank, I mean, most women do vote Democratic. And, uh, you know, so they want all of them because this group of white women in particular are really making a difference in some of these districts, and they need to be swayed to come over here to the Democratic Party to make these races not so tight.
4: But you know what happens, Denise, when you play uh, demographic whack-a-mole? <laughs> 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 That's what I call it. It's demographic whack-a-mole. It's my it's 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 my favorite game to watch people play because it it's it's like any game of whack-a-mole, you cannot win. Um, no. <laughs> down in Florida, DeSantis was pushed over the edge by one hundred thousand black women voting for him, not because he's a Republican, not because they're black or he's white, but because he actually supports school choice. So instead of his campaign reaching out to these women, other outside groups acting with complete autonomy reached out and placed ads and did you know get out the vote efforts to let black women know your kids are trapped in failing schools and the only person who's willing to give them a chance to get out is DeSantis. And 100,000 of those women said, my kids are more important than my demographic box or my victimhood and voted for him and put him over the top. So again, they're whacking white women over the head, and 100,000 black women in Florida said, I like school choice and put DeSantis in. So the, the whack a mole cannot work, but it's important, the writing you're doing, to point this out because I think without the explanation, a lot of, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go ahead and say it, but I'm gonna preface it sure. with, a, with an apology. A lot of people are gonna go ahead and buy into this garbage, and people being women, some of them white, some of them, in, you know, it doesn't matter what color you are. People are going to buy into this because it's being presented in a way that makes you like a villain if you don't just agree. Am I right? I mean, it's just, you're bad if, you, if you're if you doing this.
2: Oh, absolutely. So don't apologize. No, let's stand <laughs> together. <laughs> no, we, it, it, again, it's not, we're not standing against women, but that's what you put you're made it to be accused of, is that right. you're you know, standing against women if you don't vote lockstep with the Democratic Party. And people like you and, and, and I were, were saying, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're voting for liberty principles. We're voting mm-hmm. for school choice. We're voting pro-life. We're, pro, we're voting for you know, free trade or whatever it is that our issues are that we stand for that the Democratic Party may not represent. And that's what we want. But the Democratic Party, they can't, because they're an ideology and they want to reduce everything to one single kind of conflict, they can't engage on that level. And so they want to pit one group against the other, and that's where they get their power, and they guilt you into voting and acting according to what the group dynamic is. So if you don't fall in line with the rest of the women, if you don't fall in line with the rest of the black women, the rest, rest of the white women, whatever, in this case it's women all as mm-hmm. the group, then you're a traitor you know, you're, you're a slave again to the patriarchy and it's, it's insulting because Mm. think about it, Stacey, these people are saying that they represent women, right? Mm -hmm. But yet they're treating a whole bunch of women as if they don't think for themselves.
4: Well, they're also ignoring that. But they're ignoring something else. So in your piece, you really, you really go through and methodically take this apart, which is, is exactly what's needed because in order for us to think about this in, in an, A news cycle that's 24 hours where we're constantly being bombarded with news, you're going to hear this blurb on, you know, it's going to make its way down to the locals and everyone's going to say, are white women betraying other women by continuing to vote for Republicans? And women who are cooking and managing kids or maybe driving kids to and from, you know, sports are going to think, wait a minute, am I? And so they need to understand what's being done to them. That it's an indoctrination process. First, you hit the person over the head with you're wrong and you're hateful and, and here's why. But you don't really go any further than that because you in your piece, you talk about this hierarchy, where a Muslim woman who's transgender surpasses the gay black woman in social standing, but white women have less legitimacy than black women, and on and on it goes. And you also talk about when they're talking about straight white men and the patriarchy and oppression, the the big thing that glares to me is that, So if you're, I don't care what color you are, you may be married to a man, more than likely because, you know, homosexual marriage has not become prevalent in this country. It's not like 80% of all marriages are same sex. So the majority of women are married to men. And the majority of women in this country, because it's still a white majority country, are married to white men. So the assumption that every white man is a part of the patriarchy and an oppressor means your father is an oppressor, your son's an oppressor, and your husband is an oppressor. How do they expect to get women to buy into that? These are the men that they're cooking dinner for or they're cooking dinner for them are paying their mortgages together, doing everything together. But this man is oppressing you. How exactly? How do they get from where they are now, which is they, they have a lockstep on Muslim transgenders, gay blacks, all that stuff. How do they get to convincing white women that every man in their life is an oppressor?
2: They have to hit home. The fact that women, all women, are victims, and so they have to lay the seed of, of fear in their minds that all men—it may not be even men in their in immediate life, but men in general. I mean, how often do you hear this? You know, are you a victim of racism? Oh no, but I know lots of people who are. Or mm-hmm. have you, speaking to a woman, have you been um, experienced? You know, terrible sexism. Oh no, but I know people are everywhere. Or can you not get your health care? Oh no! But I know a whole lot of people that do. You know, it's just, kind of just it's moving from the micro to the macro because you are so inundated through media, through the culture, through pop culture, through through online social media of messaging that says this is the reality. So it's a, it's a fabricated reality that's imposed upon the in, uh, individual through the media. So that, it, that becomes the reality, even though they're real life. Is a contradiction to it. So when it comes to the political sphere, they, they draw from the fabricated reality and the fabricated truth instead of really looking at their own real life and say, you know, hey, I have a brother. Like you said, I have a brother, I have a father, a son. They're not predators. I love them. I want them to have due process. I don't want them to be presumed guilty as predators. Mm-hmm. But, but yet, when they go into the political sphere, they're, they're, they're immediately guilted into, oh, no, but all men are predators. So, therefore, I have to vote lockstep with women who want to make sure that these men don't have more power. And what we need to say to women is don't think in group dynamics. Don't think in these otherworldly, non-real circumstances that's given to you by the media. Think about your own real life. Think about your principles. Think of it as an individual and bring those principles to your political and social and cultural um, activities and vote and make that your reality. Cause that is your reality, not what's imposed upon you by a fabricated culture.
4: Mm. Okay. And then I guess, cause we just have a minute left um, there. So you also mentioned in your piece, it's a great piece. I encourage people to read it and I'll put it on my Twitter feed and just, just one second here. But, um, you talk about the Democrats, if they keep down this road, will they ever have a white man as their nominee? Out of the 20 or 40 people who are considering running for in 2020 on the D side, um, oh, I'd say 80% of them are men, white men. So they, do they really plan to run on this while they have a, probably a white man and a white woman as their primary and uh, vice presidential candidates? Well, they
2: will, they will have, um, you know, especially they will have these people who – who represent who may be a white man or a white woman, but they don't speak that way. They speak to the identity group. But I do think that the the um, when it comes to political sphere, that the uh, nominee will probably not be a white man or a white woman. Not that it should be. Not that he or she should be. It should be about principles. My, that's my point. Is get it down to what do you stand for? It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. You know, it doesn't matter what your, your, your sexual orientation is. We need to get back to individualism, individual principles and principles of liberty and look at that and not what group you're in and who you think is victimized or not.
4: I agree, but I just don't see that kind of conversation happening on the left. They're doubling down no. and tripling down. And uh, I mean, it's I, I just I can't, I can't even understand it. It's getting to a place where I'm really having trouble deciphering it all. But you have totally deciphered it. Thank you, Denise McAllister from The Federalist, TheFederalist.com. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. All right. We'll be back with more. Stacy on the right, 866 963 2037. Be right back. This is just a minute with Stacy Washington. A Republican from Oklahoma has a plan to fund completion of the wall at our southern border. Senator Jim Inhofe's solution is simple reduce illegal immigrants' access to federal welfare, and use those savings to fund the wall. Here are the specifics. The wall Act would require each person seeking to collect the child tax credit to have a work-authorized social security number instead of just the child. It would also require that E-Verify be used to prove citizenship. The minimum fine levied against illegal border crossers would be increased. With Open Borders Democrats poised to take over the House in January, Inhofe's plan should be implemented during the lame duck session. It's no secret that America is a great place to live. Congress should act quickly to end the attraction of taxpayer-funded easy living for illegal immigrants. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called Tune In. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go.
0: Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light we don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing this is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark god has called you and i to be his ambassadors even in this dark moment tune in to the hamilton quarter weekdays at 5 p.m central on urban family talk
1: This is Paul Puri with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blandon. This was a big election year. Over 49% of the eligible population voted in 2018. That's the highest turnout for a midterm election in almost 100 years. What motivated folks? One obvious thing, President Trump. For our Fox News voter analysis, we surveyed more than 100,000 voters nationwide. It shows more than 6 in 10 voters said the president was a factor in their vote. For 25%, their vote was to express support. Support for President Trump. More, 38%, voted to express opposition. Still, the survey also finds Americans feeling positive about the economy. 66% say it's in excellent or good shape. That's nearly double the number who rate economic conditions negatively. What about looking ahead? To find out, we asked voters if they think life for the next generation will be better or worse than life today. 24% say life will be better. Twice as many, 49%, say worse. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your Poll-Pourri.
0: You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban
3: Family Talk. Today, President Bush becomes the 32nd American to lie in state in the United States Capitol Rotunda. Soon, Americans from every corner of the country and every walk of life will make their way to this rotunda to pay the respects of a grateful nation. Upon the death of Abner, it is written that King David said, do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? George Herbert Walker Bush was such a man. While he was known as the quiet man, it was not for lack of nerve or daring, for in all of his 94 years, President Bush never lost his love of adventure and he never failed to answer the call to serve his country.
4: Welcome back to the program. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Please do go to afa.net and purchase a package of uh, the keep Christ in Christmas wristbands. We're so excited about that. Um, this is the time of year where in addition to the Stacy on the right show headbands, you can also buy the new Christmas wristbands from AFA, AFA.net to order. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining with us in that. Well, let's talk a little bit about George HW Bush, 41st president of the United States, dead at the age of 94. He died in his home in Houston, Texas, surrounded by family And he really lived an exemplary life. He died eight months after his wife, Barbara Bush, and they had an epic love affair that spanned the decades, many children, and really, they have a legacy that they leave behind of strong marital ties. Uh, One of the most fascinating things to me about the two of them is their love affair. I kind of have a thing about marriage, as you probably know, listening to the program, And I I prize it highly because it is the union of a man and a woman and God. And when you marry, you create a covenant with God and your spouse that lasts on through the ages. And it is foundational here in this country, uh, marriage. It, It was once said by Alex de Tocqueville that, Marriage is so highly prized in the United States and was such a unique and beautiful experience here. Oh, he just raved about his time spent in America and his observation of how men and women treated each other and how women seemed so joyously uh, just their their participation in marriage was such an example for the rest of society. And he talked about it many times in his life uh, after leaving the United States, the impact that seeing American marriage had on him. And I have the same kind of admiration for those who are married, especially as they get on in the decades and they've been married for a substantial amount of time. Oh, how I love seeing older married couples together And couples who are 10 or 20 years ahead of my husband and myself. And I also enjoy greatly seeing younger married couples, newly married, those who've been married for seven, 10 years, those who are over 10 years, but less than 20. I enjoy seeing strong marital bonds. I believe it's a blessing from God and a privilege to have a marriage and to be a part of a, a loving union like that. And so they had that in spades. Before entering politics, Bush served in the Navy during World War II. He was a decorated fighter pilot. He was shot down, the youngest fighter pilot in the Navy at one point. And he was a one-term president. He entered in 1989 the presidency with decades of public service. Remember, he was the vice president to Ronald Reagan. He served in Congress. He was the ambassador to the United Nations. He was the chairman of the Republican National Committee and the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, He was... Just a really accomplished man, but very humble. And he also was the creator of the Thousand Points of Light, um, which, you know, people, it, it's really funny what, what I I find it, it really odd when I see people uh, criticizing something that was hugely popular afterwards without acknowledging that at the time it was seen as innovative and creative and, and something fantastic. You're free to criticize, but it's interesting if you try to downgrade something afterwards without acknowledging that at the time it was seen as something really special and something that did did well. Um, he was known for a nuanced approach to the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. And, you know, President Bush, he's, he's a part of that, part of our American history where he was present for all of those things. His decision to invade Iraq in 1991... Um, under Operation Desert Storm rippled for decades after his presidency. And I remember that too. Uh, I remember seeing my dad's unit, uh, a lot of troops from his unit deploy to Operation Desert Storm. We were stationed in Germany, my dad was, and I was growing up there. And I remember seeing people that I'd seen, you know, all around the base, and I'd see them at my dad's work, and they left and they came back, and a lot of them had. Um, Disfiguration from being there, but the harsh conditions, they lost their hair, they had, uh, you know, skin discoloration, things like that. And I remember thinking for the first time since my father had told me about his experience in the Vietnam War, what war was really like. I remembered like being shocked by it. I remember seeing women who were kind of gorgeous and used to cut a fine form in their uniforms coming back from Desert Storm and looking completely changed. And it wasn't a war that, Really took a long time for us, um, but it was something that was really i i 'll never forget it and um, President Trump has acquitted himself admirably in honoring the Bush family and in being uh, really presidential in his commemoration of the life of president h w bush and I just want to take this moment on the show to acknowledge the loss and the marriage that he and his wife had and the legacy that he leaves behind with his children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren. And to offer my condolences to the Bush family, um, I haven't always agreed with everything that they've done, but I do acknowledge their impact on the history of this country and their impact worldwide through their service uh, and to the public, all of them. And so I offer my condolences. We'll go to the phones now. Kay in Kansas, thank you so much for calling the show today.
5: Hello?
4: Hi. Thanks for calling in.
5: Well, I love listening to American Family Talk and uh, American Family Radio. And after the... Uh, listen to the regular news. We don't listen. We listen to One America News on online, on the TV. Oh, yeah. so,
6: mm-hmm.
5: I like American Family. But One American News, they tell the truth. And uh, the one thing, I'm very disappointed, and I had given donations to American Family Radio, and I think they do a very good job. But one thing that very disappoints me... And I don't think they seem to understand, and I've talked to several people, why has American Family Radio bought into the definition, the political correctness of calling people gay? I know that's traditional, but it didn't used to be years ago. I do volunteer work at rest homes, and I know an older lady, and I know a lady about my age. Their name is gay. What does gay mean? It means happy. And it's politically correct, yeah, to call them gay because that's what they define themselves as. What would God call them? What does the Bible say? The Bible, God would never call them gay. They're homosexuals. I feel sorry for them. I don't hate them. I don't hate them at all. I feel sorry for them. But to let them define, and it's just like in this country, they're redefining everything. Even Christianity, I think they're redefining. And I just think American Family Radio, you get, you're get, you able to get the truth out a lot better than I am. I live out in the country, and we're all supposed to tell the truth. What would God call it? I don't think he would call it. And they're the ones that define themselves as gay. And back in the day when they first started saying that, people wouldn't go along with it. But now even the
4: so-called... <laughs> conservatives are buying into that well okay uh, thank you for calling in with the comment i try to call them homosexual i try to describe the activity it's a lifestyle choice i use same sex and also homosexual interchangeably um, i think one of the things that you point out is a truth that i will acknowledge and i will readily accept your criticism which is the media and most mainstream outlets call it gay, and hearing that drummed into your head over and over and over again means you're going to adopt the language that you hear most often, and that is the power of language, to be able to change minds without actively getting a person to accept the change. And so it's it's a constant check, and I think you calling in today is a, is a good reminder to us that... M- what we call things matters and that we need to consult with the Bible and make sure that we're speaking biblically and that we need to be cognizant of the changes that are happening to us without our permission, uh, even against our will, because I certainly, it, it is not my intention to describe homosexual behavior as being happy or, or gay. Um, and I understand that a lot of people have the last name gay in this country. And I do believe that when we had a proper definition of the word gay, we were able to use it and it was good. So uh, thank you for for calling in and for sharing that. Um, I, I I readily receive the uh, the criticism. I think it's good for us to be uh, reminding each other. It's good for you to call us and let us know where you feel like we need to uh, shore up. And so thank you. Um, so we still have a little more time in this segment, about five minutes, I think. If you want to call in, you're welcome to 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Um, so I, I thought it was pretty interesting today. Um, and again, we don't, so we, we have so much news to cover and we have so much that we can discuss. And I know we've covered a ton of immigration, uh, issues here on the show, especially of late. And I think it's, it's good to cover it because we need the truth out there. Um, but one more little tidbit, which I think is really, really important to how we discuss this. As we've talked a little bit about Fronteras, uh, the the open borders group that has been sending Americans down to Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador to recruit people to join the migrant caravans and caravan organizers, the same people who went down to Honduras. Now that they p- these people, 6,000 of them have settled in Tijuana and they're as is the case with any group of 6,000 people, because I'm so tired of people acting like what I'm saying is only specific to this group or that group, 6,000 people anywhere. You're going to see some property damage. You're going to see a a huge amount of trash and human waste. You're going to see a lot of people congregated together like that means sickness will pass more readily, people in close quarters. That's why you don't pack people into close living conditions without any kind of barrier. That's why the U.S. government has gotten away from these huge housing projects because it breeds crime and disease. And so you're seeing that. And as conditions are getting more and more difficult, you're seeing these organizers dump these people off and leave because their goal is to create anarchy and to destroy our social fabric. And that's what they've been able to do by coercing these people into the area. The other story that I saw is that a a bunch of, like, 24 migrants just gave up on waiting for asylum and decided to cross the border illegally. How are they still doing that with 5,000 troops down there? Like, I just... What are you doing, Secretary Nielsen? What is going on? So remember, these people were lured into this situation in the city of Tijuana, Mexico, on the border of San Diego and Mexico. They were lured into it via flyers, social media postings, press appearances, and they were looking for moms, kids, and babies in strollers. Those are the looks that they wanted to create for the, the, the media picture that they're trying to paint, the propaganda angle that they're trying to go for. And so you you don't get to see a lot of images of the military-aged young men sitting in the squalid camp their, waiting for their turn to enter the country. They're no longer an advertisement for entering em- easily into the U.S. In fact, what this is doing is it's showing lots of people um, that it is very difficult to get into America, and now even more so under President Trump. God bless him. God bless him for even standing firm on this, as he promised to do when he was running. We have time for one call before we end this hour of the program. Valerie in Virginia. Valerie, thanks for
6: calling in today. Hi, Stacy. It's so Hi. good to talk to you, and I appreciate your program tremendously. I listen to it every chance I get. Thank you. Uh, my comment today is just about uh, President Bush, H. W. Bush. Something that seems to be missed by a lot of people, and I give him, like you, a lot of uh, uh, kudos for the way he lived his life with his family and and the wonderful relationship he had with his wife and grandkids and all of that. I don't want to take away anything from that, but President Bush was a globalist, and that seems to get lost when everybody is talking about what a wonderful president he he was. He was a globalist. He he gave us Agenda 21. He signed us onto that. He was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, Mm, which is a group that (laughs) I'm sure you know of. Mm, I do. I do. Yeah, and so those are things that just don't seem to be mentioned when everybody is talking about how wonderful he was and how he lived his life. Those are things that have impacted our nation and that uh, we are fighting against, the patriots are fighting against today.
4: Yeah, you are right. Valerie, you're right. And I don't really go into those... um I was just trying to give him a tribute, and I, but I understand where you're coming from. That's the way I feel about John McCain and, and people continuing to laud him when he, so much of what he did with his uh, career as a public servant was detrimental to our country. And so I, that's why I tried to highlight the majority of my comments about President Bush on his family life and, and all of that. But the points you've made are true and accurate and uh, well-received. Thank you for listening and for calling the show today. Good evening from the heartland. One News Now, news and information is up next. God bless.